You know, we should shout for joy 365 days a year. It's not just in the Christmas season. It's not just the month of December when we bring out the Christmas songs, but we should shout for joy every single day. Every single day we wake up and we have life. We should shout for joy because He reigns. He is in control. And that one song said about the light that's shining in a manger. To think. That's the reason we shout for joy. Because He left His throne in glory. He left His throne and humbled Himself. Came as a tiny baby to this earth. To save us. He has visited and redeemed His people. He has visited Visited earth and redeemed His people. Amen? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do praise You. We praise You that You reign. You reign on Your throne in glory. We thank You, Father, that Your Son, Jesus Christ, is seated at Your right side. We thank You that He did visit earth to redeem us from our sins. Father, we give You the praise and the glory and honor. Father, we are not worthy but we are made worthy through the precious blood of Your Son, Jesus Christ. And Father, we thank You for Your Holy Spirit You sent. Lord, to guide us, to strengthen us, to empower us. Father, to give us understanding. And Father, we just pray that Your Spirit would be in this place today. We pray that Your Spirit would go forth, Father God, and bring understanding. I pray that every word spoken, Father, would be for Your glory, for Your, for your honor, to lift up Your kingdom in Your precious name. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We're going to look at Luke chapter 1, verses 67 through 80. You know, you can go and read the first and second chapter of Luke. We ought to just kind of read it every day, just to just familiarize ourselves and to bless our hearts with what we read there. God's wonderful plan of salvation there, the birth of His Son, and not just the birth of His Son, but the birth of the one that would go before Him is actually what we're going to read today. Luke 1, 67 through 80. Now his father, Zacharias, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets, who have, who have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to perform the mercies promised to our fathers and to remember His holy covenant, an oath which He swore to, his, to our father Abraham. We remember that blessing that God gave to Abraham, that I will make you great. I will bless you. Your, your descendants will be as the sand of the sea. And in you, all the world will be blessed. And he reaffirmed that promise with Isaac, his son, with Jacob, his promise to bless the entire world. To grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. And you, child, he is prophesying over his own child, and you, child, will be called the prophet of the highest, for you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare His way, to give knowledge of salvation to His people by the remission of their sins. To give knowledge of salvation to His people by the remission of their sins. Through the tender mercies of our God, 
with which the day spring from on high has visited us, to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. So the child grew and became strong in spirit and was in the deserts, the desert till the day of his manifestation to Israel. May God add his blessings to the hearing and the reading of his holy word. This passage of scripture is referred to by many as the song or the hymn of Zacharias. Zacharias was a priest in Israel. He was a priest. And, but his joy, his joy, he's sharing the joy that's in his heart because God had blessed he and his wife Elizabeth with a son. Both of them were well advanced in years. I use that term a lot, right? They were well advanced in years. But God blessed them with a son. It seems like there was a lot of barrenness in the Old Testament with the lineage of those that would be the, of the household and lineage of the Messiah. You look at Abraham. Sarah was barren. Rachel was barren for a time. I know Elizabeth, is, she is the mother of John the Baptist who was a cousin of Jesus. Elizabeth was Mary's cousin. So Jesus would have been the cousin of John. So there was a lot of barrenness there. But he's overcome with joy because God blessed them and gave them a son in their old age. It says that it happened that the lot fell to Zacharias that he would serve in the temple. And as he was doing his duties in the temple, burning incense, an angel of the Lord appeared to him and informed him that his prayers have been heard. Zacharias, your prayers have been heard. And that he and his wife Elizabeth were going to have a son. Have you ever felt like your prayers were going no higher than the ceiling? Come on. You've been there. You felt like, God, are you really hearing my prayers? Feel like they're not going any higher than the ceiling of your your, your room, whatever room you might be praying in. God, are you really hearing me? Well, I don't imagine that Zacharias and Elizabeth just started praying a couple months before this appearance of the angel. They were well advanced in years, and to have a child is very, very important to the nation of Israel, the people of the nation of Israel, because to carry on the family name. So they longed to have a child to carry on that name. I have a feeling they had been praying for years and years and years. But my friends, I believe that God heard their prayer the first time they prayed it. The very first time they prayed that prayer for a child. I believe <clears throat> that God heard that prayer. <clears throat> but God had to wait till the timing lined up with His plans and His purpose and His perfect timing. So it may be years before you hear the result, but God hears your prayer. Something happened during this exchange with the angel that to me it reveals that God uses ordinary men. I know He's a priest, but ordinary men and women that sometimes doubt, sometimes have fear, sometimes make mistakes. It just reaffirms that God can use us too, right? He uses ordinary people. Zacharias was afraid. 
the scripture actually says that he was troubled and great fear fell upon him. My friends, his fear is understandable. I'm sure as being a priest in Israel that he had read or heard of angels appearing to the patriarchs of old or the prophets of old. I'm sure that he has heard those stories or read those stories. But friends, hearing about something and having it actually happen to you is another thing, isn't it? An entirely different thing. Now, I know this isn't spiritual. But, you know, I might read all about going skydiving. You know, I might read all about it and understand exactly how it works. You go up in that airplane and, you know, they open that door and you jump out. I might even know. I know some people. I have an uncle that was a paratrooper in the military. I had a boss that went skydiving a number of times. And they've told me all about it. Oh, yeah, that sounds like great fun. Are you crazy? Jumping out of a perfectly good airplane? And you put a parachute on me and put me in that plane, I'm going to have white knuckles holding on to things, and I'm going to be shaking in my shoes. It might be all right for somebody, but I'm going to be shaking in my shoes. Well, we might hear about angels appearing to somebody, but let it be you, the one that they appear to. They are mighty warriors or mighty messengers of God. You might think you're brave, but you let a mighty angel of God appear to you and see if you don't shake in your shoes. He was fearful. He was fearful. And I believe I would be too. And now, you know, I know at times like, oh Lord, let, let my eyes be open. <laughs> yeah, let my eyes be open, Lord, so I can be afraid. So I can be afraid. fearful, right? Angels are celestial beings, normally invisible to man. We know that they're there, but normally they're invisible to man. They act as intermediaries between heaven and earth, between man and God. Angelic beings are usually benevolent in nature, considered to manifest the qualities of goodness, purity, and selflessness. Angels, with the exception of those that fell with Satan, are always in complete obedience with God. What God says they do. They are obedient to Him. They have always been interested in and involved in human affairs. But they are very interested in what goes on here on earth. They are interested in you and in me. What we do. In Luke 15.10 it says, Likewise I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Do you know that the day that you believed on Jesus Christ, the angels rejoiced in heaven? Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. You know, we might find it very comforting in our little minds the way we think all the angels watch over us and protect us. It is comforting. But let them appear to you. And see if you aren't like Zacharias. And I know that I would be fearful. Secondly, Zacharias doubted. He doubted the message of the angel. Luke 1.18 says, Zacharias says, How shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is well advanced in years. See, that's not just my saying. 
Zacharias, my wife is well advanced in years. So it is understandable, my friends, that Zacharias would want some kind of an assurance that this thing is going to happen. I'm old, you know, oh, I get up in the morning, it takes me a while to get moving. I have these aches and pains. I'm old, and my wife is well past the childbearing years. So he's looking for some outward appearance. Can you blame him? He's looking for an outward appearance that this is going to happen. He's looking at his outward appearance knowing why it's probably not going to happen, right? It's an impossible thing without the supernatural assistance of a divine God. How shall I know what sign will you give me that I will know that this is for certain? He didn't want to go home and tell Elizabeth, oh, you're going to have a baby without some kind of sign. Well, how am I going to know? In John 4, 46-51, So Jesus came again to Cana of Galilee, where He had made the water wine. And there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. When he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him and implored him to come down and heal his son, for he is at the point of death. Then Jesus said unto him, Unless you people see signs and wonders, you will by no means believe. The nobleman said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go your way, your son lives. So the man believed the word, of God, the word that Jesus spoke to him and went his way. And as he was now going down, his servants met him and told him, saying, Your son lives. Your son lives. Praise God, the man believed. But I believe Jesus said that unless you see signs was meant for the others in the audience that was hearing it, the religious people in the audience that day. Have you ever heard the saying, be careful what you ask for? Be careful what you ask for, you might get it. Well, Zacharias got a sign, most, not, most likely not what he was hoping for, but he got a sign. Luke 1.20 says, But behold, you will be mute and not able to speak until the day these things take place, because you did not believe my word, which will be fulfilled in their own time. He got his sign. For nine months, Zechariah was mute, not able to speak. He wanted to communicate with his wife or with his friends. He had to either use some kind of sign language or write on a tablet. Now I know, you know, if I... If if I went like this and went like this, what's my wife going to think? I'm hungry. I'm hungry, right? If you go like this and you make a grimace, what's that mean? My back hurts. You know, I could communicate a few things, few things with sign language or this, you know, my sign language. And I'm sure Zacharias could probably do that. But he had to get a tablet out if he wanted to communicate. For nine months, he had nine months to think about his doubt. Nine months to think about it. But you know, if he looked at it with a right attitude, he was reminded every morning when he woke up that he couldn't speak, that God heard his prayers. He was reminded every morning when he woke up and couldn't speak that God gave him, was going to give them a child. He was reminded every morning when he looked at his wife as her belly grew and grew. 
that God had blessed them. Prayerfully, he looked at it with a right and joyous attitude through those nine months. Nine months able to speak, unable to speak. My friends, we are to believe the Word of God. 2 Samuel 7, 25-28 says, Now, O Lord God, the word which you have spoken concerning your servant and, and concerning this, his house, establish it forever and do as you have said. So let your name be magnified forever, saying, The Lord of hosts is the God over Israel. And let the house of your servant David be established before you. For you, O Lord of, Lord of hosts, God of Israel, have revealed this to your servant, saying, I will build you a house. Therefore your servant has found it in his heart to pray this prayer to you. And now, O Lord God, you are God, and your words are true. And you have promised this goodness to your servant. When Zacharias doubted the words of the angel, he was signifying that he did not believe him. How will I know this will be true? He's basically saying, I don't believe what you just spoke. I do not believe them to be true. My friends, God's word is true and it is faithful. Whether it is the written word inspired by the Holy Spirit or spoken through an angel or through that still small voice or the loud voice, God's word is true. Do you believe it to be true today? I pray that you do. Nod your head if you do. There we go. In a little, okay. You know, Zechariah's hymn also paints a wonderful picture of what Jesus coming to earth means for us, what it means for mankind. Verse 68 said, For he has visited and redeemed his people. I want to focus on the redeemed part first. There are different meanings of the word redeem. Let's say for an example that a football team, a very good football team, had an undefeated season going, and they lose to a team that everyone thought that they would beat, they should have beat. Everyone, I'm not going to mention the names. <laughs> but this team loses. Don't throw any rocks at me, I'm going to duck. This team loses to this football team. Well, they can come out next week, the following week, and redeem themselves by winning the next game, by playing to the best of their ability, have an outstanding game. They can redeem that loss, if you will. They can redeem bad performance. So we can use that terminology a little bit because God has redeemed our bad performance, hasn't He? We've had a lot of bad performance. But the Greek meaning of the word redeem is the one that we really should use as it's used in Luke chapter 1. It means to pay the ransom. A ransom is a sum of money or other payment demanded or paid for the release of a prisoner. Jesus paid more than a sum of money, didn't He? He paid more than a sum of money. He gave Himself. He gave His life. That was His entire purpose. We celebrate Christmas, but that was His entire purpose, to come to visit mankind and to redeem mankind, set us free 
from our captivity. Because we were held captive. We were held captive to our sins. He came to release the prisoners. Luke 4.18 says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Zechariah's hymn also alludes to the winning of a battle. Verse 69 says, And he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. You know, when here we are, we're finishing up hunting season in most of the tri-state area. And most deer hunters, when they go out to go hunting at buck season, they hope to go out there and bag a huge buck. One with a very large rack with you know, 10 points, 12 points, whatever. They hope to bag that big buck. You know, it's to make a trophy that they can hang on their walls. I'm not much about trophies. They want that trophy to hang on their wall. But those big bucks are hard to come by. You know why? Because they're smarter, they're wiser, they're stronger than the younger ones. They're hard to, hard to bag. But that's not really the point here. The point is... What does large horns symbolize? They symbolize strength. The larger the horn, the larger the animal. The larger the animal, the stronger the animal. The greater in strength. The word salvation connected with the word horn here means that He is our mighty Redeemer. The horn of our salvation. Our strong Redeemer, if you will. Our mighty Redeemer. Able to save. Strong and able to save. He is not a weakling. He is the horn of our salvation. But it is also possible that this whole figure has to do with the Jewish altar. On each corner of the Jewish altar, there was an eminence or small projection that stuck out called the horn. And it was to this horn that a person could flee and cling to that thing if they was in danger. They could cling to that for safety. It was, this, it was their safe place if they could just make it to that altar. There's an example of this in 1 Kings chapter 1, verses 50 and 51. And Adonijah feared because of Solomon and arose and went and caught hold on the horns of the altar. And it was told Solomon, saying... Behold, Adonijah feareth King Solomon, for lo, he hath caught hold on the horns of the altar, saying, Let King Solomon swear unto me today that he will not slay his servant with the sword. I don't know what Adonijah did. I, I should have researched that. But he was fearful that the king was going to put him to death. So he runs to the altar and grabs a hold of the horns. I'm not going to let go. I'm going to hold on to this thing until the king swears to me he's not going to put me to death. Brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ is our strong and mighty Redeemer. He is the victorious one. He is the horn of our salvation. He is the one we must cling to. He is our safe place. When we cling to Him, the enemy cannot touch us. 
Yes, this earthly body might die, but fear of him that can destroy the soul. The devil don't want to hear. He cannot touch our soul when we cling to Jesus Christ, the horn of our salvation. It is in him that we have the victory, the victory over death, the victory over the sins in our lives. Psalm 18.2 says, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength, in whom I will trust, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. Is Jesus Christ that to you? Is he, is he the horn of your salvation? Is He your stronghold? The hymn also reveals that it will be the dawning of a new day. Verses 76 through 79 said, And you, child, will be called the prophet of the highest, for you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare His ways, to give knowledge of salvation to His people by the remission of their sins through the tender mercies of our God, with which the day spring from on high has visited us. The day spring from on high has visited us. To give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide their feet in the, into the way of peace. Dayspring means sunrise. Which means what? The sun rises up in the morning. We think of that as the beginning of the new day. And actually, I know that's just the way we think of it. But you know when our new day begins? Sundown. So we get to begin our day sleeping. Resting, preparing for that day when, when the sun comes up, right? But we're just going to go with the sunrise. You know, we all have our own image of what we consider a grand and glorious sunrise. For some, it may be sitting down by the ocean and watching that sun just begin to creep up over that horizon of the water out there. And I know one that really likes that. For others, it may be that sun rising up behind all these splendid and glorious mountains as we look out over the mountains. One of the most glorious sunrises that I can remember, that has made a vivid image in my mind, <clears throat> it was not far from here. We were traveling east on 68 early in the morning. I don't remember where we were going. But just as we topped Orange Mountain and looked out to the right, you just see all the mountain, the, the mountain just go on and on and on. And the sun was just coming up over the mountains. There was a little bit of fog down in the valleys, and the sun rays was shining through there. Well, I'm remembering it today, so that tells you what kind of image it had in me. Just a glorious, glorious sunrise. Very, very memorable. But my friends, these glorious sunrises, these new days, are nothing compared to the new day that Jesus has provided. Has provided for those that believe in Him. My friends, when Jesus Christ arises in your heart, it is a new day. It is a new beginning for you. He is the light that shines in the darkness. My friends, when that sun comes up, what happens? The darkness dispels. The darkness leaves. It's gone. When He rises in your heart, that darkness is gone. The sin is gone. John 8, 12 says that Jesus spoke to them again. Spoke to them again saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. When you walk in Christ, you will have the light of life. When the sun lives and reigns in your heart, 
He is greater than the darkness. The darkness will flee. It has to flee. It has to be gone. Now back to the visiting part. God was preparing to visit His people. Literally, visit them in the flesh. That's what Advent is about. He was preparing to visit mankind. The incarnate, God was going to come down through the incarnation of His Son, Jesus Christ. Matthew 1, 22 and 23 says, So all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated, God with us. God with us is God visiting mankind. Visiting mankind. Zacharias, the priest, prophet, not only prophesied of God's great plan of redemption through Jesus Christ in His visitation upon earth, but He also prophesied His plans for His and Elizabeth's son. When He said, And you, child, He was speaking to John, who would be what we know, John the Baptist. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the highest. For you will go before the face of the Lord and prepare His way to give knowledge of salvation to His people by the remission of sins through the tender mercies of God, speaking over his own child's part in God's plan, how his son would be the forerunner for Jesus Christ, how he would be the one to prepare the people to make ready their hearts for the one that would come after him. Luke 1, 14, 16 says, And many shall rejoice at his birth. This is speaking of John. For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and he shall drink no wine or strong drink. And he shall be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. Now if you've read through Luke, I'm sure you have, first couple chapters. First, Elizabeth became pregnant. Of course, then the angel appeared to Mary. I don't want to get ahead of myself, right, for the coming weeks. But Mary went to visit Elizabeth. Elizabeth was in her sixth month, I believe, the story out the back of but whenever she, Mary knocks at the door, when Elizabeth comes to the door, as soon as she opens the door, the baby leapt in her womb. He was filled with the Spirit while in the mother's womb. He knew that he was in the presence of the Messiah who was in Mary's womb. John the Baptist truly was a transitional figure. His ministry was in a sense partly in the Old Testament and partly in the New. One foot in the Old, one foot in the New. It had been nearly 400 years since the people of Israel had heard from a prophet. The people were awaiting. The people were anxious. They were looking for the Messiah. They were looking for the one that was foretold. In Malachi 3 it says, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way for me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, He is coming, says the Lord of hosts. My friends, they were waiting. They were anxious. They were listening for the Lord, wanting to hear from the Lord. And John's message was a message of repentance and that the kingdom of heaven was at hand. One greater than I is coming after me. One that will baptize you with the Spirit. And I baptize with water. You know, John was very different from the religious leaders of his day. 
He didn't walk around in their proper robes. His clothing was made of camel's hair. Kids, want to have some a lunch today after church and maybe we'll have a little bit of what John normally ate? Do any of you know what John ate? Locusts. See if we can't find us some nice locusts and fix them up on the grill today. He ate locusts and wild honey. He was very peculiar, very different, but he was faithful to God. He was not a crowd pleaser. John was willing to confront the religious establishment of his day. He did not hesitate to expose Herod's immorality. He confronted Herod for taking his brother's wife. Even though he wasn't afraid to call out sin, many were drawn to him to hear his message. Matthew chapter 3, verses 5 through 12. Then Jerusalem, all Judea, and all the region around the Jordan went out to him and were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, Brood of vipers, who warn you to flee from the, the wrath to come. Therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance. What a word for today also. Bear fruits worthy of repentance. And do not think to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For we say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now the axe is laid at the root of the trees. Therefore every tree which, was, which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I. Whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. I will baptize you with... He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out the threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. My friends, the message that the church has today is the same as John's. Repent. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. I believe the days are short. That has to be the message. Repent. For the kingdom of God is at hand. My friends, as we celebrate this Advent season, it's not about the presence under the tree, but it's about the gift of God, the gift of His only Son that came to earth. And yes, there was a tree involved, but it was a tree that He willingly allowed Himself to be hung upon, that we can have remission of our sins, that we can be redeemed, we can be redeemed. But we must repent, as John told his people. We must repent. It is only by the remission of our sins that we can enter in to his kingdom, that we can spend eternity with him. So if you're hearing this message today, somewhere on the other side of the world, I don't know. If you have not received Jesus Christ into your heart, I urge you today, we want you to be there. We want you to enjoy what God has prepared. We want you to enjoy that peace in your heart. We want you to find forgiveness of your sins. Cry out to Him today and ask Him to forgive your sins and come into your heart. Allow Him to be your Redeemer today, my friends. Today is the day of salvation. Don't put it off till tomorrow. Because if we look around the world today, we know that we may not have a tomorrow.
but call out to Him today. Allow Him to be your Savior, to be your Lord. Amen?